we've been in this series called God, I Have a Question for a couple of weeks now. And we've talked about topics like why is there so much hypocrisy in religion? We've talked about topics like why is there suffering? And today is week three. And if you've missed any of the previous ones, you can grab them on your favorite podcasting app or on our website. Um, they're out there. But I, I do want, before we get too far, next week, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is, doesn't the Bible oppress women? That will be a good one. You should come. Uh, but with that, this week we're going to turn to a, to a different question, which is, do all roads lead to heaven? I don't know about you, but uh, I find that most people don't like to be told they're wrong. Do any of you like to be told you're wrong? Anybody like it? You like being, okay, two, two or three people. The rest of us don't like to be told that we're wrong. And especially, you guys have probably heard it talked about in our culture, like so often, right, you just get a trophy for showing up, right? How many of you, some of you didn't know that. <laughs> you have trophies that you didn't know. They gave them to you because you showed up, right? I, I grew up and they gave, gave everybody in T-ball a trophy. You didn't have to win. You could be really bad and you get a trophy. Everybody gets a medal, right? Nobody likes to offend anybody else, and yet at some level we are in a culture where we're awfully offended, right? And so we find ourselves in this, in this weird conundrum about nobody wants to be told they're wrong. And so at, at some level we, we find the claims of Jesus a little bit offensive, Right? Like, I, I want to read a couple of verse to you, verses to you. Uh, John 14, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is like, this is it, right? This is Christianity saying we're it. Or a little bit further on, Acts 4, uh, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which... We must be saved. There's some exclusive claims made in Christianity, right? That, that at some level we've, we've claimed that this is it. This is the only way. And, and this sort of offends our sensibilities. Some of you probably have, like, this is offensive to you. Like, you probably have some gut reaction. It's like, I don't know, man. How, do, how can you claim to be the, the only way? And underneath this sort of lies our, our post-Christian, our post-modern Western worldview that sort of shudders at the thought that anybody could be wrong, right? That, that somebody, anybody could possibly be wrong. And we live in a place that totally rejects anything that claims to invalidate other, the opinions of other people, right? <coughs> Internally, these, these statements may sort of give us great angst. Uh, and, and it may be for you that as you explore faith in Jesus... That for you, this is a stumbling block. It may be for you that even though you follow Jesus, you find that this is just offensive to you. How can we claim, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of ways. How can we possibly be these people who claim to have the way figured out? I mean, maybe it's that it's sort of like, that's awful arrogant of you to say, well, you're it. And, and maybe a lot of you are saying, can we even really know? Is it possible even to know if there is one way or another? And I want to begin this morning, before we get too far, I want to begin by making a couple of observations and then follow up with a little bit of explanation, okay? The first observation I want to make, if you survey the landscape of religious belief, 
of any sort of faith belief, and atheism is a religious belief. It's a belief that there is no God, right? It is a religious belief. If you survey all religious systems, one of the things that you find is that it's not just Christianity that's exclusive. Every religious system claims to be exclusive. They all claim to be exclusive. We're just one among many that claim to be exclusive. It's sort of the way truth claims work. If something is true, then things that contradict it are by definition false. So every religious system, it's usually the the bill gets handed to Christianity to say, well, you guys are awfully exclusive. You guys seem to like claim to be the only way, but I just want you to begin by understanding that every religious system claims to be the only way, which leads to the second definition or the observation that I want to make, which is that the religious belief systems of the world have major disagreements on fundamental issues, major disagreements. Some of you will know the name Ravi Zacharias. You guys know that name? If you don't, he's, a, he's an Indian apologetics expert. Uh, he's an author. Uh, apologetics is like defense of Christian faith. And Ravi says this. He says, we assume that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. It's the reverse that is true. They are fundamentally different, at best super, superficially similar. Now, my career as a pilot, I've, I've had uh, the opportunity to talk about Jesus with lots and lots of people, more so when I was at the airlines, which was because you're flying with somebody different every week, and you're going to sit next to this person for three or four days, and after a while, you sort of run out of things to talk about. Once you've talked about Jesus, uh, it gets quiet usually. Um, but there's a conversation that I had whenever I would talk to people about Jesus. There's a conversation that I had a lot of times, like so much so that I can script it for you. It's, it was the same conversation over and over and over and over again. And it happened sort of like this. The topic would come to religious beliefs. Of course, I would say, well, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. That's, this, is my, this is my faith. And what would happen is the other person would say, hey, I'm a Christian too. And they would tell me some denomination name that they were a part of that I had never heard of. I mean, like I said, it's the same every time. Some denomination name that I've never heard of. And I consider myself fairly caught up on names of denominations. I have a decent understanding of like the differences between them. And so whenever they would say, well, here's the denomination that I'm a part of, and I've never heard of it, I would say, wow, okay. Well, what's unique to your denomination? Like, tell me what it is that you guys believe that makes you different. And, you know, uh, a lot of times, enough so that it, it was not so much coincidence, but they would say, well, you know, we're Christians just like you. We just believe Jesus is not God. That's all. We're Christians just like you. Well, one of the foundational beliefs of Christianity is that Jesus is God, right? This is a foundational tenet of Christian belief. And so whatever this denomination was... Whatever they were, they were at least not Christian. And this happened, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like, if you've had any sort of conversation like that, if you have a number of them, eventually you run across this. It happens quite a bit. So, again, I had this a lot of times. And in this example, either Jesus is God or he's not, right? Both can't be true that Jesus is God and also is not God. They disagree at a foundational belief level And both claim to exclusively hold truth, right? They can't both be the same. I share this story 
because as, I, as we consider the world's belief systems, these things diverge even more. Like, this is people who are like, yeah, I like the Bible, I just don't think Jesus is God. Like, that's a, a, a seemingly small diversion, right? But if you take, for example, Islam. Islam says, Jesus was a prophet who was not crucified. Christianity says, Jesus is God, and he was crucified. Both of those can't be true at the same time, right? You see how those can't be true at the same time? Either he was crucified, or he was not crucified. Or take Buddhist and Hindu beliefs. Buddhist belief is that there is no God, while Hindu belief says everything is God. I'm God, you're God, the chair is God, the, the music stand is God, the speakers are God, right? These two things are not the same. They can't claim to be the same thing, right? Do you see that, they, that there's contradiction at a foundational level? Atheism says God doesn't exist, while Judaism says that God is one and he revealed himself to the nation of Israel. Those two things can't coexist side by side. So as we begin our look at whether or not all roads lead to heaven, we need to begin by acknowledging that all religious belief systems are exclusive and they contain foundational differences and disagreements. In other words, all roads don't lead to heaven because they don't claim to. This idea that, well, all roads lead to heaven, it really doesn't matter what you believe, that's not true. It's not true because they don't all even claim to. And it's sort of like offensive to people who don't believe that there is a heaven. It's sort of like you're making them, hey, your road, got, it's got to lead to heaven. Buddhists and Hindu belief are aimed at a higher level of reincarnation in your next life based on your actions in your present life. Islam is aimed at reaching paradise by having your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Atheism is aimed at living your best life now before you cease to exist at the end of your life. Christianity says you'll be with Jesus in heaven until the resurrection of the dead when all things will be made new again. Do you see how the end goal of every faith is different? All roads don't lead to heaven because none of them claim, they don't claim to all lead to heaven. The point here is that we're aimed at different targets. But there's something more fundamental that I think we need to consider. The big problem that every religious belief struggles to deal with is the sinfulness of humanity. Every religious belief has to take into account the sinfulness of humanity. And every one of us is aware inside that there is a moral law, right? Like every one of us has some awareness of a moral law. Whether you believe God wrote it on your heart like the Bible says, or you just sort of believe that it's just there, every one of us understands that there's a moral law. It's why you get so mad when somebody lies to you. How many of you don't get mad when people lie to you? It makes you mad, doesn't it? It's like, wow, that's, there's something wrong with that. It's why that you, you feel outrage when children are abused. Because you understand that at some level there's a moral law that, has, that, that this is violating. Every last one of us, every human being on the planet understands that there's a, a foundational moral law to the world. And the other thing that is that we're all aware that at some level we don't live up to the moral law. At some level, you find yourself failing on the own, your own tenets, right? You ever lie to somebody? Makes you mad when people do it to you, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that's never lied to anybody else. We're all aware that we don't live up. After I rejected Christian faith in college, I was still aware that the way I was living my life 
wasn't the best way to live my life. I didn't know how to do that. I knew Christianity wasn't true at the time. So I was just sort of trying to make it. But I was at least aware that I fell short of whatever moral law existed. I knew that there was a better life that could be had. I just didn't know how to have it. So everyone has to, be, uh, has to deal with this problem of human sin. And the major way, if you look at all across the scope, the major way of dealing with the sinfulness of humanity is this word karma. You heard the word karma? You get what you deserve. Isn't that the way kind of Americans we live? You, you get what you deserve, right? You earned that. You, what you're just getting your just desserts, right? This is what, this is what you're supposed to get. This is the way that, the, that most of the world deal, deals with the sinfulness of humanity. You'll be reincarnated and you're going to pay the debt of all the stuff you did in this life in your next life. You'll get what you deserve. Or you'll have your sin weighed against the good, the good deeds of your life in hopes that maybe you can achieve paradise. You'll get what you deserve. Just follow the guru or the prophet that claims to know the way, Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know what that is. It's driving me nuts. Uh, only in Christianity does God say, you are stuck. You are stuck. You cannot deal with sin on your own. I will come and deal with it for you. It's the only one that says, you can't fix your own problem. And so Jesus comes to earth. He lives a perfect sacrifice for sin, and on our behalf, He pays for sin. And so God makes a way for us. Every other religious system is do, do, do. Christianity is done, done, done. That Jesus has paid the price. And if we take an honest look at the world around us, outside the sacrificial death of Jesus, nowhere else claims even know how to deal with sin other than to visit it back on you, that you would get what you deserve everywhere else in the world. I heard this story. You guys know the name Lee Strobel? How many of you know the name Lee Strobel? Um, he, he told this story, and so I'm just, I just, just patently stole it from him. So this is, this is me giving him credit for the story that he told. Um, there, there was these new parents who, who had this baby, and, uh, and they, they took the baby home, and they started looking at the baby, and they were like, this baby is turning yellow. This baby is yellow. This is like, this just doesn't look right. It's not, it's not good. This is, we could take it back to the doctor and see what's wrong. There's something wrong here. And they take it to the doctor, and many of you will know that the baby had jaundice, right? And, and it causes babies to turn yellow. It also told, apparently, I found out, turns adults yellow, too. It's just not as dangerous. But in babies, if you don't treat jaundice, the baby eventually can die. This is the problem. And so the doctor kind of looks at the kid and says, don't worry. We know exactly what this is. It's jaundice. There's one way to fix it. We're going to put him under this special light for a little while. It'll take care of the problem. And it's the only way to cure it. And so now suppose the parents say, Man, Doc, that's awful arrogant. It's awful arrogant for you to say that that's the only way. You know, you're, you're, you're pretty exclusive there trying to say that the only way to heal our baby of jaundice is to put him under the light. Uh, we just don't really like it. It's awful narrow-minded. So we're going to take the baby home. We're going to try to wash it off. 
We're going to get the really good soap, the kind that they wash penguins after they've been in the oil spills. We're going to get the really good soap, and we're going to wash our baby. And we're going to take care of this because how narrow-minded of you, Doc, to say that there's only one way to heal this baby of jaundice. And in response, the doctor says, but trust me, there's degrees on my wall that say I know what I'm talking about. I've studied this stuff. I understand there's only one way. It's not narrow-minded. If you want your baby to survive, this is the way you fix the problem. None of us would say that the the doctor is narrow-minded or arrogant to say that the way you treat jaundice is to put a baby under a light, right? Nobody would call the doctor arrogant or narrow-minded. We would say, okay, he understands the scope. He's got, I mean, he, he understands. He's got the degrees on his wall. He's studied. So why would we say that it's narrow-minded to tell people that the only way to deal with sin is by receiving the death of Jesus as a cure for human sinfulness? If it's the only way. The only way that it's narrow-minded and arrogant is if it's not true that that's the only way. But let me ask you this. What other way do you know of to deal with the sinfulness of humanity? What other way is there? The only way that it even claims to be the way to fix this problem in humanity is Jesus. It's not narrow-minded. It's loving. This is the only way we can heal this problem. Now, for some of you, this sort of probably runs a question through your mind of like, how how can I know that this is trustworthy? You know, we got this book. It was kind of like it was made by some guys, and I don't know if I can trust this book. I don't know if I can trust whether this was actually, this actually happened, that this is actually payment for, for the sin in my life. Let me show you why you can trust Jesus' death on a cross One of the best attested facts in history is the death of Jesus of Nazareth on a Roman cross. Even those who would seek to discredit Christianity concede this point, that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross and was dead. It's one of the best attested facts inside the Bible, outside the Bible. Everybody agrees that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and was dead. So what we're left with is what happened to the body? What happened to the body? Before the crucifixion, Jesus said, I'll be killed and three days later I'll rise again. Now, if this had just been a spiritual resurrection, if he was like, listen, I'm your spiritual guru, you just like, you just got to believe and you'll be spiritually resurrected just like me. If it was a spiritual resurrection, we could have sort, we would have been like, well, we really can't tell. We just kind of don't know. We don't have any way to actually tell. But the beauty of a physical resurrection is that if it's a hoax, it's really easy to prove. If it's a hoax, all you got to do is pull the dead body out. You string it up and say, see, told you, he's still dead. Right? After three days, the tomb was found empty. Those who were guarding it said, we're going to tell everybody that the disciples stole the body. If the body was still there, why would they make up the story? It's because it was missing. So what do you do with a missing body? Well, there were disciples after that that started reporting that Jesus had shown up to them. Peter and then the 12. And there's this one story in the Bible that says 500 men and women. I love it that the Bible includes women because it's, it's such condemning testimony. If you were trying to, like, in the first century build a, a case that you would say, well, it was all men because men's testimony was the only 
the only valid testimony, but the Bible says men and women at the same time, 500, over 500 of the brothers and sisters, Jesus showed up. It's a big enough crowd that you can't say, oh, well, it was a mass hallucination. You just can't say that. So 500 people, and the passage in Scripture in 1 Corinthians, it says, most of whom are still alive, as if to say, go ask them. Go ask them. They're still here. Some of them have died, but the rest of them are still there. Go ask them what it was like to see Jesus alive. Go ask him what he ate. Go ask him, like, what he smelled like. I don't know. Go ask him. Like, sometimes we just sort of, like, take this, this Bible and we go, well, this was written to me personally. It wasn't. It was not directly written to you. It was written to people who were alive in this time. I said, go ask him. Go ask him what it was like. All of this points to the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And here's the deal. The Bible says that the resurrection from the dead is how you can know that you have been freed from sin. It says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then you are still in your sin. But because he was raised, you are set free. It's the only way. You can trust Jesus to deal with the sin and the guilt and the shame in your life. Now, before we end... I want to briefly address the remaining question that often causes us to want to go, well, all roads lead to heaven, and it's this. What about those who never get a chance to hear about Jesus? I bet that's a question a lot of us have. It's a question that I've dealt with in my life. What about all those people? If Jesus is the only way, what about all those people who have never heard What about all those people out in the island somewhere who no missionary has ever gone to? Are they just condemned to hell? Like, what do you do with that? It strikes at our sense of justice, and we really can't reconcile that. Can we? Like, doesn't that, there's something about that that just doesn't seem right. Like, they didn't even get a chance. And now they're going to be condemned to hell? But here, let me, let me approach this by beginning with, I'm not God. I know that comes as a surprise to some of you. No, I'm kidding. That's no surprise to any of you. I'm not God, but here's why I say that. It's important to say that I'm not exactly sure how God will deal with that problem. I'm really not sure. But I do think there are some things in Scripture that we can sort of grab a hold of to give us a little bit of information. The first thing is that the Bible says that God is perfectly good and perfectly just. And so when the day comes where we're standing before God, none of us is going to go, that was unfair. That was unfair. That's one of the things that I hold on to. God is perfectly just and perfectly good. Every last one of us, when God decides what he does with this, is going to go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's fair. I get that. So there's, there's that. The Bible also indicates clearly that if anyone is saved at all, it will be through the atoning death of Jesus. That this will be the way that people are saved. There's no other way. If anyone is saved at all, there, it will have been through the sacrificial death of Jesus. There's a story, this book, I mean, I would recommend you guys read if you're, if you're interested in disciple making and seeing different people, um, different like 
nations come to know Jesus. It's a book by Jerry Trousdale. It's called Miraculous Movements. And he's, in the beginning of the book, he tells this story of a man named Sheikh Hanif. And, and so I, I sort of want to try to paraphrase this story. But uh, Hanif was a, a, an excellent devoted leader in Islam. He was also a man, though, that struggled with the uncertainty of Muslim faith and the, the, the lack of certainty that he had with his status with God and the lack of answers that he had for all the problems that he encountered. And so, but he continued to be devoted as a Muslim. Well, one night Hanif was sleeping and, and he had this really strange dream of what he calls a very handsome and graceful man in his dream. And what he told him, this, this man told Hanif, he said, I want you to serve me. And so in, in, in the dream, Hanif asked him, well, who are you? And the man replied, I am Isa al-Masih, which means Jesus the Messiah. Hanif says, what should I do? So Jesus, in this dream, he shows Hanif this, this picture of this tree on a hill by a road. And he said, I want you to go there. And Hanif knows this place. It's close to his house. And so he goes to the top of this hill and, and what Jesus says to him is, here's a picture of a face of a man who will give you all the answers that you need. So he sees this, this face in the dream, and, and he wakes up. He doesn't want to, like, startle his wife because, of course, he's a, he's a Muslim leader. So he gets dressed. He goes up, runs up to the top of this hill. He sits under this tree all day. Everybody that's coming by was a fairly busy street. He keeps looking. He doesn't see the face. He thinks he sees it, and then he doesn't see it. And the sun starts to set, and he's been sitting at the top of this hill all day. Now the, the crowd starts to thin. There's not as many people going by. And he starts to look. He's trying to see, is anybody going to come by? A couple miles away, there's, there's a Christian man named Wafi. Wafi had been someone who had gone community to community, sharing Jesus with influential people. And seeing communities come to know Jesus. And, and so Wafi had this strange dream where God said, I'm going to give you a sheik. And he just sort of was like, okay. All right, whatever. So the day drags on. Hanif is still sitting. He's waiting. It's beginning to get dark. And Wafi walks by the tree. And it turns out the face that he saw in his dream was Wafi's face. And so he grabs the guy, and of course the guy's scared. He's like, I'm a Christian, and this Muslim man has got me. I'm not sure what's happening. And he tries to say, listen, I'm not going to hurt you. You have to come to my house. You're going to answer all my questions. This man, Jesus, has told me that you're going to answer all the questions that I have. So he takes him to his house. They go in, and after a time, Hanif and his wife give their lives to Jesus and they begin to make disciples and plant churches among Muslim people. God uses supernatural means to reach people who would never otherwise hear of him. For some of you, that's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Does that happen for everybody? Maybe it's not a completely satisfying answer, but I will say this. All over the Muslim world, this is happening that God is giving dreams and Muslims are coming to know Jesus because of dreams. Nobody comes to tell them about Jesus. Jesus comes himself. Beyond that, 
Theologians use two terms, and I'll wrap it up with this. Theologians use two terms about God's revelation. Some of you will know these terms. There's a, the term general revelation. Some of you have heard that term. General revelation is this is what you can know about God based on your own being and the way God has created things around you. And the Bible says, and Paul says in Romans that you are without excuse. Like you can see the hand of God in creation if you choose to. You can see that general revelation. The other term is special revelation. Now, special revelation is is what the the events recorded in Scripture, right? All the things that happened with Jesus and and all the th- the ways you can know who God is through Scripture. So, Scripture is clear. I, I want to make sure I say this again. Scripture is clear that there will be no one saved apart from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. But some of you will know the name William Lane Craig. Anybody apologetics fans? William Lane Craig says that it may be possible for people to be saved who have never heard of Jesus, but who have been faithful with general revelation. Lee Strobel says the same thing. He says, the way they would be saved is by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, but that it would be akin to getting an inheritance from, from an uncle you didn't know you had, that you would stand before God and that you were faithful with general revelation and that the payment for your sin is Jesus. And I've, I've kind of wrestled with that a little bit. But here's where I've come up with. Have you ever read the Old Testament and gone, what happens to all these people who are faithful followers of God but who never knew Jesus? Look at Job. Job's not even an Israelite, but it's clear that he has an intimate relationship with God. I think God calls us to be faithful with the level of revelation that he's given us. And I think that you can faithfully say that from Scripture. It seems to me that special revelation, if you get special revelation where God has handed you Scripture, that you've heard someone preach about Jesus, that God intends for you to do something extra with that, but that salvation is possible with general revelation.